and now for something completely different. At first glance, Egyptian foreign policy seems to have changed dramatically in the aftermath of the January 2011 uprising. Relations between Egypt and Israel have clearly gone sour, and they have gone sour despite the explicit assurances of the higher council of the armed forces that all existing treaties, including the treaty with Israel, will be honored. Relations with Saudi Arabia have also become quite strained, if not actually antagonistic. On the other hand, in the months since January 2011, officials in Cairo have made several pronounced overtures to Iran. And at the same time, Egypt has directed sustained attention to the south, especially toward Ethiopia. And Egypt's new attention toward Ethiopia marks a sharp reversal of Egyptian foreign policy all during the Mubarak regime, all during the Mubarak years Egypt tended to deal with Ethiopia and Eritrea and Uganda from a posture of masterly inactivity, sort of looking and hoping that nothing important would go wrong down on the southern border. Finally, in the months since January 2011, Egypt's relations with Turkey have become much closer, and I'm delighted we're going to hear more about that, learn more about that this afternoon. And relations with Turkey have become closer not only in economic affairs, but also, somewhat surprisingly, in strategic affairs as well. The few analyses that we have of these changes in Egyptian foreign policy, it seems to me, overstate the nature of the changes that have taken place. In particular, there's a good deal of writing about Egypt's new relationship with Iran, and even a little bit of writing about Egypt's new relationship with Ethiopia, and both of these bodies of literature claim that the overtures to Iran and the openings toward Ethiopia may well, may well present a reconfiguration of Egypt's policies toward its neighbors, and even a reconfiguration of the pattern of regional alliances as a whole. And it could well be that even at this early date, events in these two parts of the world do will signal, will lay the foundation for a reorientation of Egypt's foreign policy toward its neighbors. But whatever happens next, whatever comes when things begin to settle down, I think it is worth taking some time, even at this moment, to sketch out the course of Egyptian policy toward Iran, toward Ethiopia, and toward Turkey to try to determine whether or not what's going on today reflects a distinctive post-Mubarak posture in Egypt's foreign policy. So, relations with Iran. Egypt's relations with Iran have been notoriously bad since the 1978-79 revolution. As we all remember, President Anwar Sadat offered asylum to Mohammad Reza Shah after the revolution in Iran. The authorities in the Islamic Republic then named a central street in the capital city, Tehran, after Khalid al-Islamuli, and relations went from bad to worse between Egypt and Iran. A group of WikiLeaks cables that have been recently published from April of 2009 show that as recently as April 2009, General Omar Soleiman, remember him, told US diplomats that Iran represented a major threat to regional affairs. 
and that Iran represented a threat to the region, partly because of Iran's support for Hamas in Palestine, but also because of Iran's general activities in Gaza, general activities in Lebanon, and even Omar Soleiman claimed Iran's connections with a shadowy cell of Islamist militants in the Sinai, which the Egyptian authorities have consistently referred to as Hezbollah. But on February 4th of 2011, Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, called the protests going on in Cairo a clear sign of what he called an Islamic awakening that was gathering momentum all across the Middle East. The Supreme Leader claimed that events taking place in Tunisia and events taking place in Cairo were a direct result of the 1978-79 revolution in Iran. This address, even though it was aimed primarily at a domestic Iranian audience, this address was given in Arabic and was picked up and transmitted outside Iran's borders. A little over two weeks after this speech, an Iranian warship traversed the Suez Canal, going through the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean Sea toward the Syrian port at Latakia. The passage of this Iranian frigate appears to have caught Israel in particular off guard, and the Israeli authorities immediately claimed that this action counted as a provocative act on the part of various parties in the region, but certainly a provocative act on the part of Egypt as well as <coughs> Iran. The warship and its escort vessel came back through the Suez Canal at the beginning of March 2011. Shortly after this event, the newly appointed Egyptian foreign minister, Nabil al-Arabi, told reporters that Cairo did not view Iran as an enemy, and that Cairo was fully prepared to re-establish normal relations with the Islamic Republic. In early April, al-Arabi announced plans to upgrade <coughs> Egypt's diplomatic mission in Tehran, and at the very same time, Egypt's foreign minister remarked somewhat cryptically that Egypt would no longer have what he called a special relationship with Israel in the future. Two weeks later, the Iranian press reported that Iran was about to appoint its first ambassador to Cairo since 1980. Although, oddly enough, despite this press report, the Iranian foreign ministry called the report hasty and guesswork and refused to confirm that Iranian ambassador was on the way to Cairo. In mid-May, Foreign Minister al-Arabi used the occasion of a visit by a delegation of Israeli peace activists to observe that other countries had relations with Iran, Germany had relations with Iran, Turkey had relations with Iran, why couldn't Cairo have relations with Iran as well? And at the end of the month, the end of May 2011, a group of 40 Egyptian intellectuals and religious scholars paid a visit to Tehran. By this point, Foreign Minister al-Arabi had been nominated Secretary General of the Arab League, so was no longer in a position to oversee this continued warming in Egyptian-Iranian relations. But at about this same time, Egyptian security forces expelled an Iranian diplomat for allegedly recruiting <laughs> agents inside Egypt to work undercover 
to undermine the governments of the Arab Gulf states. The Iranian foreign minister called this spy incident, in his words, a misunderstanding and something that should not derail the new course of Egyptian-Iranian relations. But nevertheless, in the wake of this incident, Foreign Minister, uh, foreign minister of Arabi signaled that the upgrading of relations between Egypt and Iran would be postponed until after Egypt's parliamentary elections. And in fact, by the middle of June 2011, it looked like the prospective honeymoon between Egypt and Iran was waning. Al-Arabi responded to the deployment of Saudi troops in Bahrain by warning Iran that any efforts by Iran to interfere in the internal politics of the Arab Gulf states constituted what he called a red line that Iran would not be permitted to cross. We don't hear much about Egyptian-Iranian relations until early August, and in early August, a delegation of Egyptian business people traveled to Iran and met with the Chamber of Commerce and the Chamber of Industry in Tehran to discuss a variety of joint economic ventures. In February 2012, an Iranian official announced that Iran was going to invest about five billion United States dollars worth of capital in various industrial projects inside Egypt, and pointed in particular to automobile assembly plants, food processing plants, and flour milling enterprises as investments that Iran was about to carry out. And it strikes me as useful to note that Iran announced that many of these investments would be made in Egypt's poorer provinces, especially provinces down in the south, explicitly in Suez in Minya and in Sohaj. I'm trying to envisage an automobile assembly plant in Sohaj myself, but perhaps that can be imagined. After the People's Assembly in March 2012 adopted a resolution that demanded the expulsion of Israel's ambassador in Cairo, the Iranian foreign ministry called this measure a natural move on Egypt's part and even a logical response affairs going on in the region. So we see the broad pattern of Egyptian-Iranian relations has been in the direction of warming up, in the direction of closer ties, a variety of ways in which this rapprochement seems to be taking place. How about Ethiopia? Egypt's relations with Ethiopia <coughs> have been quite dicey since 1980, when President Anwar Sadat warned that, quote, if Ethiopia takes any action to block our rights to the Nile waters, there will be no alternative for us but to use force. So Egypt has staked out a position of antagonism toward Ethiopia a long way back. But besides such vague threats, Cairo did very little to engage Ethiopia one way or the other throughout the last decades of the 20th century. In mid-April of 2011, Prime Minister Issam Sharaf <coughs> announced that he had plans to travel to Ethiopia, that he thought Ethiopia was important enough for Egypt's strategic position in the region that it deserved a high-level visit. And the Prime Minister announced that he would take along with him Egypt's Minister of Irrigation, Hussein al-Akhti. 
before this visit could take place, a 48-person delegation made, uh, actually, I'll admit to you, it's unclear to me how many trips this delegation made, made at least one trip and perhaps two trips to Ethiopia. A, a more or less private delegation made up of representatives of political parties, former ministers of the People's Assembly, but also a number of youth organizations and even university professors. This delegation called itself the Egyptian People's Diplomatic Delegation and made the trip south. It's reported that during the delegation's time in Khartoum, the delegation attended a worship service at the primary cathedral, the primary Coptic cathedral in Khartoum, and during the course of the service at some point, chanted with the attendees, uh, with the worshipers, that Egypt and Ethiopia are one hand. The, private de uh, the people's delegation delivered a note to Ethiopian Prime Minister Meles Zenawi that Egypt was, would encourage Ethiopia to take any steps necessary for Ethiopia to develop its own country so long as these steps did not interfere with the flow of the Nile River. But Prime Minister Zanawi was impressed enough that the Egyptians made the trip that at the end of the visit, Ethiopia's Prime Minister announced that Ethiopia would, um, that Ethiopia would delay the construction of a massive new dam on the Blue Nile River until an independent commission could be set up, an independent commission that would include Egyptian and Sudanese officials, as well as other upriver governments. The Ethiopian Prime Minister also told the visiting delegation that Ethiopia would not even sign, would not even formalize the revised Nile Basin Agreement until after parliamentary elections and after presidential elections inside Egypt. A clear concession on the part of Ethiopia, a clear signal by Ethiopia that Ethiopia was going to take into account Egypt's strategic concerns about the flow of the Nile River. In mid-May of 2011, the Chambers of Commerce of Egypt and Ethiopia signed a memorandum of understanding to facilitate greater trade back and forth between the two countries, and Prime Minister Sharaf attended the signing ceremony of this Chamber of Commerce meeting. Zanawi then traveled, the Ethiopian Prime Minister then traveled to Cairo in September 2011, and the Egyptian government remarked at the end of this visit that the new dam across the Blue Nile could in fact be, its words, a source of benefit for Egypt, rather than just a threat to Egypt. <clears throat> I think I won't say what I was going to say about Turkey. We will let our colleagues say something about Turkey. The crucial question is to what extent these developments represent major shifts in Egyptian foreign policy. I'm tempted to highlight the ways in which these developments do mark new departures in Egypt's relations with Iran, new departure in its relations with Ethiopia, but it should nevertheless be kept in mind that all of these shifts do, can be seen to grow out of earlier trends. In October of 2010, Egypt and Iran signed an agreement to resume airline flights back and forth 
between the two <coughs> countries. This agreement was largely unexpected. This agreement was usually taken to be a market shift in Egyptian policy toward Iran at the time. And at the same time, this agreement was made, the Fars News Agency claimed that an Iranian trade delegation would visit Egypt in the near future to consolidate the improvement in relations. With regard to Ethiopia, the Egyptian ministers of international cooperation and of agricultural and land reform both traveled to Ethiopia in October of 2009, and the Egyptian ministers discussed a range of agricultural projects that might be the focus of cooperation between Egypt and Ethiopia. Ethiopia's Prime Minister Zanawi called this uh, visit a symbol that relations between the two countries had turned from mistrust toward cooperation. And at the, at the meeting that Zanawi had with this delegation, the Ethiopian Prime Minister expressed the hope that these two states would take joint steps to develop the Nile Basin. So I think the way to think about the shifts that are taking place is that there have been scattered overtures. There have been opportunities for improvement in Egypt's relations, warming up in Egypt's relations with Iran and Ethiopia over the past 10 or 15 years. But what we see now is the blossoming of those overtures. We see now that circumstances in the region, circumstances inside Egypt itself, have in fact led those overtures to fruition. Thanks.